Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, dress listeners, it is officially summer and has now been, I guess, for a couple of weeks now. I just feel like time is flying by, despite it also feeling like it's standing still. But um, <laughs> COVID has, <laughs> of course, ensured that many of our normal summer activities are no longer available. However, many people are still finding ways to enjoy the great outdoors, and one of their favorite social distancing activities is bicycling. I mean, there's really nothing quite like riding a bike. Yes, and I have been enjoying quite a bit of bicycling myself. Um, every morning, I've started working with a trainer, and she's uh, we're, we bike all over Brooklyn to get our little morning workout in <laughs> at 6 a.m., um, and Lovely. then we bike somewhere, do our workout, and then we bike back home. So, um, <laughs> and also, I haven't been on a subway since March. So, anywhere wow. I go lately, really, I have been either riding my bike um, or walking. So, um, but we digress. You know, today the bicycle <laughs> really is a ubiquitous pastime that many of us enjoy and maybe even take for granted, especially when you consider that there was a time prior to the 20th century that bikes were not available en masse like they are today. So after many prior incarnations, the modern bicycle, you know, and when we say the modern bicycle, we mean it's chain driven and with two exact same size wheels. Um, This was first introduced by Englishman John Kemp Starley in 1885. Yeah, and by the 1890s, bicycles were being heralded as the new craze in Europe and America, a craze really that we still revel in to this very day, which is why I was really excited to come across Maud C. Cook's 1895 book called Social Etiquette or Manners and Customs of Polite Society, which has an entire section dedicated to bicycle etiquette. And we, of course, have done an episode on the etiquette of calling of the 19th century. We did that earlier this season, and our listeners loved it so much that I, April, you know, I just felt justified in creating my own fashion history mystery this week. Yeah. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> So my question is just how did society expect women to navigate this new sport of bicycling? And of course, for our intents and purposes, what were they supposed to wear? And believe me, there are a lot of opinions on this, as we will see later in the episode. And it will probably not surprise our listeners that newly mobile women caused an incredible amount of anxiety in society at large during this time. Yes, and these etiquette books are really fascinating. It might be worth quoting the title of Maud's book here in full. You're going to have to bear with me. (laughs) I'm going to take a deep breath before I start. The book is actually in full called Social Etiquette or Manners and Customs of Polite Society Containing Rules of Etiquette for All Occasions, Including Calls, Invitations, Parties, Weddings, Receptions, Dinners, and Teas, etiquette of the street, public places, et cetera, et cetera, forming a complete guide to self-culture, the art of dressing well, conversation, courtship, <laughs> etiquette for children, letter writing, artistic home, and interior decorations, 
etc. <laughs> so basically everything. They have yeah. you covered on everything. And I have to say, I read this title and this book, and it just reminded me of my mom's mom, my Grammy, so much. She's no longer with us, but oh man, was she a stickler of manners. And you just have to wonder <laughs> if she was around today, I would ask her if she was raised reading these etiquette books, because there's so, so much that, you know, she tried to impart to me as a young, not so impressionable uh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Maud begins with that quote, there is much truth and force in the old saying, manners make the man. All persons should know how to appear to the best advantage in polite society. This very attractive volume furnishes rules of etiquette for all occasions and is a complete guide for daily use in all matters pertaining to social intercourse. So as we said, essentially, this book provides you with everything a young woman could possibly need to know to be the woman society wanted her to be. And this of course, includes providing you with the knowledge of not only how to ride a bike, the logistics of riding a bike, but how to do it socially and in a way that would show that you are, um, you know, kind of in line with societal codes as well. Writes Maud, cycling having taken such a mighty grasp upon the land, it has naturally followed that an etiquette of cycling should be established and that it should be well-established and rigidly regarded by society. There are the details of meeting, mounting, right-of-way, and various other points which are carefully observed, end quote. She goes on to say also that cycling is the correct word. The up-to-date woman dares not speak of bicycling or of wheeling. Okay. Oh, That's okay. very specific. <laughs> <laughs> so for starters, Maud takes into account you know, the best time of day to ride, which is the hours before noon, unless she says the woman is invited to a special event. And these events can include spins by moonlight, so an evening ride, or what she calls a bicycle tea. And I have to say, April, I found the bicycle tea incredibly enticing. And perhaps our listeners will consider having their own. I know I'm going to. So apparently she says, in the large cities, these teas have been given for charity and have been great successes, but there's no reason why any girl may not give an attractive bicycle tea and make it very original. So she suggests making sandwiches in the shape of tennis rackets with an olive <laughs> steak in the center for a ball. <laughs> um, she says, you know, you can make sandwiches in the shape of a wheel and a saddle can apparently be easily cut. But I guess a sandwich can be made to look like a saddle or a wheel. Bicycle landers, which resemble glowworms, should furnish decorations. And if possible, a bicycle tea should be given out of doors where outing costumes would not be incongruous. Yeah, that sounds super fun. I want to have a bicycle tea too. Maybe we'll... <laughs> Plan that for this fall. But bicycle teas aside, the best time, according to Maud, to ride is in the morning, of course. But a woman cannot do this alone, Cass. At this nope. time, it was seen as inappropriate for a woman of quote unquote proper society to be out and about unescorted. And Maud talks about it being the man's duty to escort um, his female counterpart on cycling excursions, writing, quote, Never is a man better able to show for what purpose he was made than upon such occasion. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh -huh. That's also a big statement. Um, and Maude goes into a lot of detail about how he, the gentleman, should help um, his female companion mount her bike, how he rides to her left to protect her, et cetera. And, you know, should a male escort 
not be available, then a woman can be followed behind by one of her servants. And according to Maud, some ladies even, quote, go to the expense of having a servant trained in the art. I guess that would be the art of cycling, right? Of cycling, yes. <laughs> and if a woman cyclist really wants to ride a la mode, then she will take heed to Maud's many suggestions, which includes sitting in an upright position with, quote, no attempt at racing pace, she will not constantly ring her bell, and she will keep her eyes and ears alert, and she will dress daintily and inconspicuously. More on that in a minute. Maud even advises her readers on how to protect themselves against dogs, advising them to use an ammonia gun. And <laughs> no, apparently this does not harm the dog, but is rather a, quote, calculated to make an annoying dog sneeze or sniff away all future ambitions to investigate the pace of a ride. So I've never heard of these, but did people nope. actually <laughs> use them? Question mark? <laughs> We don't know. Yeah, exactly what it was. I could not quite uh, figure out. So it's a good question. And perhaps some of our listeners will do the sleuthing for us to find out. And of course, dogs are not the only hazard on a bike path, April. Of course, we have other humans to look out for. And I honestly, I feel like the art of interaction between bicyclists and pedestrians has still not really been perfected to this day. <laughs> oh, no. All you have to do is ride across the Brooklyn Bridge and uh, you you realize that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I I was almost hit by numerous bikes in Paris, I have to say, because I was not really attuned to their bike culture or not walking in a bike path. So I just feel like <laughs> <laughs> we still have a ways to go. And Maud actually advises pedestrians to leave it up to the cyclists to go around a pedestrian versus the latter trying to, you know, dodge their advancement. Maud actually provides quite a huge list of don'ts for cyclers. And there's so many, April, that I thought we could maybe take turns sharing a few because they're quite amusing and possibly even still relevant today. We'll let our listeners be the judge. Yes, I shall start. Um, she says, don't buy a bicycle with down curve handles. It is impossible to sit erect and hold that kind of a handle. Don't go out on a bicycle wearing a tailcoat unless you enjoy making a ridiculous show of yourself. <laughs> Don't allow a taste for a bit of color in your makeup to tempt you to wearing a red or other gay colored cap. And when she says makeup, um, she doesn't mean cosmetics per se, but rather your, your constitution, your outfit, how you present yourself. Don't get off the old gag about, quote, that tired feeling every time you stop by the roadside for a little breathing spell. Don't absent yourself from church to go wheeling, as you and your bicycle are welcome at most houses of worship. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave your bicycle in the lower hallway of your flat house for the other tenants to fall over in the dark. Don't believe the farmer boy who says it is two miles to the next town. It might be two, four, six, or twelve. <laughs> Don't smile at the figure others cut astride their wheels as it is not given you see yourself as others see you. Don't ride 10 miles at a scorching pace, then drink cold water and lie around on the grass unless you are tired of life. <laughs> I don't get that one. <laughs> I don't get it. It's just, fu it's, it's funny. It's quite funny. I found those very amusing. <laughs> it is, but it's like, are you tired? Are you taking your break? I don't know. What does that yeah. mean? You're lazy? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
I think she's saying that you're, you know, getting what is coming to you if you ride that fast and uh, and don't take care of yourself, which is something very much of concern of many people, as we will see later on in the podcast. But our listeners might have noticed that there are more than a few of these don'ts that have to do with clothing. Just what one wore while participating in this new sport was incredibly important, especially as someone could inadvertently wear something immodest. And one of actually the first of Maud's don'ts, because we did not read them all, was don't try to raise your hat to the passing bloomer until you become an expert in guiding your wheel. And bloomer is, of course, being applied to what I would presume is a bloomer-wearing woman. Bloomers being, of course, that bifurcated riding costume that was adopted by many women during this period to ride a bike with ease. It's, of course, named after Amelia Bloomer, who helped to make the style famous in the 1850s. Although, as we mentioned in our episode on that very topic last season, she was not the originator of the style. But I digress. Under the subsection of Skirts are an Abomination, Maud quotes a renowned lady writer saying... In the first place, let me condemn the skirt, not from prejudice, but from experience. Skirts, no matter how light, how trim, how heavy, are both a nuisance and a danger. A nuisance because they fly up with every breeze and motion, because they have not the chic appearance of the properly made bloomer, and because if they are weighted like a riding habit, they make so much more to carry around against the wind. And this lady writer goes on to suggest the merits of wearing bloomers versus the skirt with suggestions of materials and construction that women could and should consider. Um, She says, quote, riding suits should be of lightweight, navy blue or black material made with bloomers and the blouse with a tailor-made jacket. Bloomers should be made to fasten at the left side of the back, which leaves room for a pocket on the right side. And of course, tinted leggings should also match the hat and gloves. (laughs) The logic this woman uses to defend bloomers during this period might seem like common sense to us today, but in the 19th century, this, this idea was quite radical. You know, as we've talked about many times on Dressed, for a woman to adopt pants would have been seen as, a, you know, this grave transgression of her gender. You know, you might remember from our episode on Amelia Bloomer that she and her colleagues had advocated for this skirt trouser ensemble in the 1850s, really to little success. And subsequent attempts had been made to reform women's dress to make it more comfortable and more utilitarian. But it was not really until the 1890s that quote-unquote dress reform, um, as it was called at the time, that's when it really started to take hold. Yes, and specifically we're talking about dress reform in relation to bicycling costume because you you see so, so many articles that discuss it in relation to this new sport. For instance, the New York Times in December of 1895 writes that dress reform has been preached at women for many a long year. She's been told that it is more comfortable than the ordinary style, that it's more beautiful, and that it is her duty to preserve her health by adopting it. Yet she has not, in great numbers, been convinced of any of or all of these claims. She has been sure of only one thing, and that it was not the fashion. And humiliating as it may be, fashion has thus far proved stronger than any consideration of comfort, beauty, or even health. But 
A new and delightful pleasure appeared, which demanded a sensible dress to enjoy it. It became the fashion, and at once thousands of women learned to ride the bicycle and unhesitatingly adopted reform dress to do so. And the article goes on, if it is true that without will women, there would be no dress reform, it is no less true that without dress reform, there would be no wheel women. And indeed, we do finally see magazines like Harper's Bazaar featuring fashionable bicycling costumes for their readers. However, one bicycling woman interviewed for this particular article went to great pains not to appear conspicuous and therefore found it necessary to maintain some semblance of wearing a dress. Um, therefore, she, she shortened it, she narrowed it, and wore the dress over bloomers. Also, Cass, there appears to have been some discrepancy between European and American, the approaches to the bicycling costume. For instance, in Harper's Bazaar in January 1896, they featured a drawing of a, quote, rational bicycle costume, which was designed by Monsieur Félix Fonnery. And while it presented a woman wearing bloomers and a tailored jacket, the author actually notes, quote, as knickers without skirts are but little worn in the United States by really smart women, this costume for adaptation for American uses would have a short skirt. So basically, Europeans did not wear a short skirt over the bloomers, whereas it seems Americans did. Yeah, and no matter the rationale behind bloomers being a logical and safe choice for bicycling women, let's just say not everyone was a fan of them, period. And this is evidenced by yet another bicycling etiquette manual, and there are so many etiquette manuals in the 19th century. I can't even I can't even explain to you. Just Google it. So this is a manual entitled Etiquette and Bicycling by John Wesley Hansen, who wrote and published this the same year, 1896. He says, loud dressing is as much out of place upon a wheel as elsewhere. And indeed, nowhere is refinement more apparent than is displayed in the cycling costume. The dress question for women is not yet settled by any means, but no self-respecting woman will wear a costume that is hardly distinguishable from a man's or that is otherwise conspicuous. Modesty is becoming at all times, and especially upon a bicycle. The bloomer is being fast superseded by the more rational, short-skirted costume that rather adds to than detracts from a woman's appearance. So he's saying that the skirt is more rational than the bloomer. And he goes on to say, a prominent physician advises women cyclists to wear woolen clothing, the head covering light, so keep your head coloring light, to wear low shoes, leggings, and no corsets. A practical costume is designed to allow perfect freedom of movement. Yes. And did we all catch what he did here? He basically equated women's morality and attractiveness to whether or not they wore this <laughs> short-skirted ensemble. You know, to describe it, he also co-opted the language used to defend the bloomer costume. This skirted outfit was practical, rational, and freeing. And it was also very clearly, by his standards, still feminine. And this was something that was a very, very, very important, especially in light of the emergence of these so-called new women in the 1890s. You know, this new woman was probably what we might now call a feminist today. You know, she was out there challenging long-held gendered standards, you know, in society that, that relegated women to very clearly delineated roles. And this new woman was educated. She was independent. She wanted rights equal to men. She was very active, thanks in part to her bicycle. 
Yeah, and where many women saw bicycling as this opportunity to wear comfortable clothing that adapted to movement, many others saw it as a direct correlation of their bid for freedom. So as we mentioned earlier, doctors really debated the health benefits of bike riding over and over and over again in the 19th century. They really were considering and um, talking about how this bike affected women's, you know, so-called delicate constitution. And then you have men like John Wesley Hansen, who advocated for the maintenance of their time and moral feminine traits while riding the bike. And he goes on to say, let the new woman prate as much as she please about her independence of man, but she is the first nevertheless to rise up in indignation if any of the same old time chivalry is omitted. But we are not dealing with the new woman at present. We prefer, and I guess he's speaking for all gentlemen, all bike riding gentlemen, we prefer the good old fashioned kind, the gentlewoman. In fact, although we have mounted her upon a pair of wheels. Okay. Uh, He says she has broadened her intellect, but we want the same sweet, coquettish, feminine woman just the same. Therefore, the man will do all in his power to make the ride pleasurable for the lady. Whoa. I don't know how much more blatant he can be about that. Basically, he's saying, (laughs) stay feminine, ladies, wear skirts, and we will still find you attractive and want to be chivalrous towards you. And, you know, this is just really the tip of the iceberg. You know, other gems from this particular etiquette manual include, quote, it is an imperative rule of good behavior that all women handsome or otherwise, should receive the same attention. The latter are more than appreciative and goes on to say, it is difficult for a man and almost impossible for a woman to learn to ride without an instructor. You know. Almost impossible. Yep, (laughs) cannot. You know, women, again, were this fairer, weaker sex, you know. These notions were so deeply ingrained into society at these at this time, you know, women's physical constitutions were weaker, their mental capacities were lesser, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they just basically, they're simply not as strong as men. Which is why women on bicycles and specifically, I have to say, women in pants on bicycles were really symbolic of real cultural change that was taking place in society. And as we know, wherever there are women fighting for equal rights, be it the right to ride a bike or to vote, you can expect a lot of male-driven backlash. Listeners, there is a fantastic article on Vox.com, V-O-X.com, by Joseph Stromberg, and it's called Bicycle face, quote unquote bicycle face, a 19th century health problem made up to scare women away from biking. And this is a very real thing that happened. Quote, overexertion, the upright position on the wheel, and the unconscious effort to maintain one's balance tends to produce a wearied and exhausted, quote unquote, bicycle face. (laughs) (laughs) This is a direct quote from the Literary Digest in 1895. And the article goes on to describe what this condition actually looked like. So a woman would appear flushed, sometimes pale, often with lips more or less drawn, and the beginning of dark shadows under the eyes, and always with an expression of weariness. And according to this article's author, other contemporary sources describe the condition as, quote, characterized by a hard clenched jaw and bulging eyes. (laughs) (laughs) No woman wants to appear this way, right? Right, right, right. I'm gonna have to take a picture of myself tomorrow morning and see if I have bicep. (laughs) 
Um, you know, this is really a fantastic article with lots of great sources, and we will definitely put a link to it in our show notes, as we will also for both of these etiquette books um, that we've been re- referencing, so you can check them out yourselves. You know, some things may have changed um, over the last 120 years, but the joy of bike riding has not. And we want to leave you today with a quote by Thomas Stevens, who wrote, quote, a new world of pleasure hitherto as unknown and untasted by you as the fruits and nectars of the gods is at your feet. Like the butterfly newly emerged from the chrysalis, you have suddenly developed wings. When before you, you have crept about on legs, you now, with less exertion of the sort that wearies, glide swiftly hither and thither, sipping with a strange delight the dew and honey of health from pleasures of the very existence of which is unknown, even unsuspected by people who do not ride the bicycle. And on that note, that does it for us this week, dress listeners. May you consider the feminist history of the bicycle next time you get dressed. If you have a moment, take the time to rate and review us on iTunes. And we love hearing from you. So please write to us with your own fashion history mystery request at dressed at iheartmedia.com. And of course, be sure and follow along on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, where we post images each week. And you can follow us on Facebook at dressed podcast without the underscore. Last but not least, thank you to our producers, Holly Fry, Casey Pegram, and everyone else at iHeartMedia that makes the show possible each week. We will catch you on Tuesday. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.